fellas. Let's go. Here we go. Big play. Trips open right. 334 stretch. Z post. X stop. On two. On two. Ready? This is my dad's show. It's called the Quarterback Dadcast. Hey everybody, it's Casey Jaycox with the Quarterback Dadcast and we are now in the month of February and I am hoping that you are still taking advantage of the amazing savings that Assam and team at Catch Sicka Seafoods are giving you. And in this month alone, you're going to take 15% off your order by using promo code TAKE15, that's TAKE15 at checkout. Uh, you'd be silly not to because this fish is as fresh as it can be. It's sushi grade. It's caught directly from the seas of Sitka and it's flash frozen. It's sent to you within three to four days. It's, I can't tell you how, how fresh it is. And so this message today is specifically targeted towards the people who maybe aren't the best cooks in the world. You're, you're intimidated to cook fish. How do you do it? What do you do? Well, the good news is you guys at Catch Sick of Seafoods, they make it so easy. Uh, whether you, you like to grill it, bake it, saute it, broil it, it being salmon, halibut, rockfish, or black cod, they're going to make it so easy and they're going to give you a a simple grilling instruction. So you can't mess this up. They also are going to give you a few recipes in there for you to try. So I highly encourage you eat healthy at the start of 2021. Go support a local company out of Sick Alaska that is going to ship you fish right from the dock, right to your door, and you're going to eat healthy. You're going to feel better. So let's get right to this episode on season two of the Quarterback Dadcast. All right, everybody. Well, welcome again to another episode of the Quarterback Dadcast. This is your host, Casey Jaycox. And uh, I'm beyond honored for, the, for our next guest to join us. Um, and I got to give a huge shout out uh, to, to the longtime voice of the M's, uh, the one and only Rick Riz, Rico. And uh, we, as we, we share a, a, another common uh, connection with, which is kind of really random, Travis Thomas, UA, USAA national team coach, mental conditioning coach. Um, but with that, we have now the, the opportunity to speak to the talented Aaron Goldsmith, the, uh, the, the main play-by-play for the, for the M's. Um, and since 2013, he's been um, with, with the Mariners. Uh, in addition, he does a lot of work for Root Sports. He does a handful of Utah basketball games. And finally, some uh, select football games on Fox 2. But with all that said, um, as we all know, we're, we're here to hear a little bit more about that. But we're also here about, we want to hear about how Aaron uh, is trying to work to become the ultimate quarterback of his household, how he grew up, how his parents impacted him. But with all that, Mr. Goldsmith, welcome to the uh, Quarterback Dadcast. Hey, thanks, Casey. It's great to meet you. Yeah, you bet, man. Well, um, in true fashion of our uh, always talking to our guests, one thing we always like to know is what are you most grateful for as a father uh, this week? You know what, Casey? Anytime I can be home on a Saturday, like it is today is when we're we're recording, anytime I can be home on a Saturday with a box of donuts with my kids and my wife, I'm very happy. So I'm grateful that I'm home on a Saturday. For people in our line of work, being home on Saturdays doesn't always happen automatically. So it's always a good day when we're home on a weekend. I love that. I love that too. What's uh, what's the go-to donut right now in the, in the Goldsmith house? Well, uh, as I'm sure most parents' kids are, uh, are, mine are fairly different when it comes to their uh, their food taste. Although on Saturday Donut Day, they basically eat anything I put down. Uh, my son, my six-year-old, uh, he enjoys the peppermint snowdrift seasonal donut um, from Top Pot. Uh, my wife likes is the is a maple bar queen. My daughter is a raised raspberry ring fan. Uh, I get the uh, ever masculine chocolate feather boa, or as we call it, the Moana donut in our home because it has coconut. Um, and then we always throw in a chocolate bar as well, just for good measure. So we got a lot going on, man. We're, we're covering all the grounds. That's a, that's a busy sugar-filled day. Thank you. I agree. <laughs> I totally agree. I'm glad you can recognize that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm a I'm a maple guy too. My, my big maple bacon bars are huge in our house. 
Oh, sure. Now, do you go the full strip? The Do you like prefer the full length strip of bacon or the crumbled bacon on top? Crumbled. Yeah, that is better. It is better. Yeah. It, is, it is more inviting to eat that way. Yeah, I think it's just next level. I think when you're thinking, we joked before we start recording JV and varsity, I think the, the varsity maple bacon is definitely the crumble. I think it takes a little bit more um, a culinary expertise to pull that off. Well, it just it just makes eating it so much easier. I mean, right. you, you don't want to have one strip of bacon with one bite. You want it to be evenly dispersed throughout your entire maple bar experience. Yeah, because then if you take that bite and then that the whole piece of bacon's flinging off, then it looks like your tongue's hanging out, but it's not. It's a piece of bacon. Exactly. You get so, it. Yeah. And, I, and as I told you, we go off script. It's it's already happening, which I love. This is going to be fun. I think today. <laughs> um, for me, Matt, what I'm most grateful for is. Uh, family night, seven thirty, for the last probably month, it's just intense Jeopardy battles as we prepare to to see Alex, uh, um, rest in peace, Alex uh, Trebek. But it's uh, we've had a lot of fun watching Jeopardy as a family, and uh, uh, the competition is getting more intense too with uh, who who gets to answer them uh, quicker or not quicker, and so it's it's pretty comical. What are the ages that you've got? I have a 14-year-old son who is like probably the most diehard M's fan out there and then a 12-year-old daughter. Um, like my, my son, when, he, when I told him I was interviewing, he was like, tell him, I think this, we got a shot, dad. Like this is going to be our year. He's, he's the guy that like when he sees the schedule, he kind of goes through it and says, and he's the, the estimated records like 162 and 0. <laughs> good. So, I like that. That's a good attitude to have. Yeah, we're definitely an optimistic family. So, well, cool. Well, I want to know. I want to, and my guest, my my audience. I mean, tell us about yourself. Uh, what, what was what was it like growing up in your in your um, house? And talk about the parent, the impact your parents had on you. Yeah, my I, I was born in uh, Wichita, Kansas. Uh, Barry Sanders and I were born in Wichita, Kansas. So, two of the fastest people to ever roam the earth were born in Wichita. I moved to Kansas City when I was uh, just a baby. I don't even remember Wichita. And I lived in Kansas City until I was in about junior high and uh, then moved to St. Louis, which is kind of what I consider home, <clears throat> although my, my parents have since moved back to Kansas City. Uh, but my parents uh, got divorced when I was pretty young. I, I don't remember the exact age, to be honest with you, but I was pretty young. And I, I lived with my mom uh, exclusively, uh, except for the occasional summer and uh, weekends here and there, that kind of thing. Uh, my mom was uh, got remarried when I was in, uh, let's see, early, early college. Um, are you ready for this, Casey? Go for this it. Is, this is wild. In fact, I was thinking about this ahead of time, and it's become so normal to me that I don't, I don't think about it, and then I have to kind of take a step back from it and be like, oh, yeah, no, this is unique and strange and different. My mom married my high school principal. Nice. Well, that, but that, it was, says, that says a lot about you. But it's not. Well, I guess so uh, in some ways. Uh, but it was it was this really interesting dynamic. I, w- I went to a small high school in St. Louis, and my high school principal every summer hired two guys to come help him work on his house. He's like a, a very Bob Vila type guy, like can fix anything, could build a house if you wanted to, right? And it was a great job. Like he paid for snack breaks and lunches and all this other stuff. And I mean, it was like, and he's a great guy. And so this was like the coveted job. And once you had it, 
it was like a big league broadcaster's job. Like you get in and you're gold for life, right? And so uh, I was able to start working for him really early on in high school. And he and I kind of clicked. Like I hadn't really had much of a father figure in my life. And he just without even without without really even actively trying on his end kind of started to fill that void for me and it wasn't something that i was desperately clinging or craving or seeking i had had coaches i had people uh within our kind of inner circle who had uh would kind of help to fill that i, I never felt a sense of lack i guess is what i'm trying to say it wasn't this like depressed childhood at all um the furthest thing from it but he and i really clicked and we spent a lot of time together uh, doing work around his house and then dinners that would ensue afterwards. And it was just a great relationship. And my mom would pick me up from his house and they would start to talk. And I kind of was starting to notice maybe there's something going on here. And like, lo and behold, they started to date. And he asked me, he's like, hey, Aaron, how would you feel if you know, I started to, if I went out on a date with your mom? And I was like, that'd be amazing. That'd be great. You should definitely do that. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, so they got married. Uh, kind of the way the timing worked out, they essentially got married when I uh, got into college. And he's has felt like my dad even before that time, but now certainly. So it's this it's this bizarre thing uh, but that feels very normal, and I don't even see him as my former high school principal at all. Like I have to really actively think. Oh yeah, no, he <laughs> he was like he could have given me a demerit. <laughs> right. <laughs> he right. could have uh sent me to detention. Um but in any event, uh, I had a, a wonderful childhood by and large with my mom. Uh she sacrificed a ton, gave up a ton for me and was and is a, a wonderfully supportive uh, mother and I I I'm very grateful for my in some ways, a little different upbringing, but in other ways, probably not that different from uh, a lot of kids. And it's helped me be uh, a much better and much stronger parent, I'm sure, as a result. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. You don't hear about those stories too often, but it's cool that you embraced it. And it just, it's, that's your new normal. And that's what's fun about um, this podcast. So this podcast has been going on for about a year now. And, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm interviewing a stay-at-home dad, uh, the, the voice of the M's to... Uh, Michael Gervais to coach Lorenzo Romar. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah, we have, there's some cool jobs, but in the end it's there were people. And that's what I'm trying to just bring the kind of authenticity to dads is like, you know, we, we all got this opportunity to, uh, to shape kids. And my, my wife says it best. She goes, case, we got 18 summers to make an impact before they go. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm running out of summer. So I'm, I'm definitely thinking about ways I can be more present and be the best dad I can be. And, and you cross your fingers and you hope you did a good job. So. The 18 summers thing is a gr I'm I'm going to remember that. That's a great way to look at it. Our summers are a little bit different in baseball, but nonetheless, the point remains. That's that's a very good outlook on it. Yep. Shout out to Carrie Jaycox, my wife. That's she's and, and I've learned as a dad too that like once I s stopped um pretending I had all the answers and I've just admitted that the female species is just a much talent, more talented. Uh, <laughs> my life has gotten so much better. <laughs> just give it, just give in, man. Just give right. in. Exactly. What didn't know? So did you have brothers, sisters as well? Nope. I was an only child. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it's funny, uh, unrelated. Heather, my wife asked me the other day and we've been married for 10 years. We dated, we've been together for almost 15 and she said, how old were you when your parents got divorced? I, said, I, I don't know. Uh, it was, I was young and I was probably like four or something. 
So I'm going to say that my parents just didn't have a chance to have uh, more kids. Uh, but uh, we we now we have three kids. Uh, and it was probably best that my mom didn't have more than one kid to look after as she was trying to work and do all the other things that a single mom has to do, which I can't even fathom what that life is like uh, for her or for the uh, you know millions of parents out there that are, that are single parents and how how hard how hard that must be. I'm, I'm for her sake. I'm glad that all she had was me. Nice. So let's talk about let's talk about your um your family. So you talked about your wife Heather, and so you have three kids. T- tell me about tell me about them. We have three children. Uh, we're very grateful. We have a uh, a just turned six year old. Uh, our only daughter, our middle child, is about to turn four in a couple of days. And then we just had a baby boy over a year ago. He turned he turned one right before Halloween. So really, the, what you need to take away from this, Casey, mm-hmm. don't take away that I'm I have three children. Take away the fact that Heather and I had three off season babies. That's what you need to be impressed by. <laughs> we went th- Casey. We went three for three. There's only so many months in the off season, Casey. We nailed it. We've got November, December, October. Now come on. That is an accomplishment. It's like Ted Williams. Like you got the streak. <laughs> I'd like to think that we're the Ted Williams of parenting. Yes, I think that's very fair. That's very fair. Thank you. Oh, uh, you bet. Um, so what, what did you take from your your mom growing up and uh, your, your, I guess your stepdad now? Like the things you've learned from them, how, how does that, how has that impacted how you're parenting your kids? Yeah. For when I think about my mom as a parent, I mean, I think two things yeah, come to mind. One, man, she she was and still is. Fortunately, I don't have to experience it as much. Like she was tough, man. She was tough. And she had to be. I, I'm, I'm not saying that in a way of casting blame or fault. Uh, I respect that about her. I didn't at the time. <laughs> but I, I certainly do now that I have my own children. Uh, there, were, like, there were clear lines in the sand of like, the, the bounds that I could be within. And that's not to say that I was always obedient and stayed within them. But let's put it this way. When I crossed those and got in trouble for it, there was no surprise, right? Like I knew what was coming. And so having those clear lines of demarcation of behavior and expectations were a good thing and benefit me to this day, both as an adult and also as a parent. The other thing that stands out, and this holds true for her and my technically stepdad, who has been... An, an overwhelming support in my life since, again, before he was even related to me, was this sense of just just show up and be there, right? Just show up, be a support, be there. And I, it's funny, I did, a, I did a basketball game the other night at UW, and my analyst is a tremendous guy, one of my favorite guys to work with in any sport, uh, former Sonics coach, and now Seattle, Seattle resident PJ Carlissimo, and you know PJ is like this all-time accomplished basketball coach at so many different levels. Got a great voice, hysterical, tremendous personality. Calls it as he sees it. I love the guy. So he was a coach on like the original Dream Team. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, the, that collective group of talent. I mean, he was right there, and. I started asking him about the dream team and some of his memories. This is a couple hours before tip off. And so he's going back and forth, telling me all this stuff. And it sparked a memory of my childhood that I had forgotten about. I said, PJ, 
I was such a dream team fanatic, like any kid growing up at that time. I said, McDonald's had this dream team collectible cup series, right? Like the 32 ounce plastic soda cups. Mm -hmm. And they had a cup for every member of the dream team, all the players. And so as a whatever year old kid, elementary grade school kid, I'm like, well, I got to collect all these cups. And so over the weeks of the summer, I'm buying these 32 ounce Cokes, really great for me, crushing them and I'm washing them out and I'm displaying them on my like bookshelf in Kansas City as this grade school kid. And I got to towards the end of the summer and I had every cup but one. I didn't have Christian Leitner, like kind of like the black sheep, the odd man out of the dream team to begin with. Right. But I, I had to complete the series and I'm telling this to my mom. And she's kind of at first like, this is ridiculous, right? But then she's kind of getting on board with it. And she, I'm sure she's processing like, hey, this is, this is, this is my son's like, favorite thing in the world right now is the dream team. Like, this is what I woke up for every day, the dream team. And <laughs> all that I want that's going to make me happy is this like $1.25 cup from McDonald's. I need one more. I need a buck 25, right? But we couldn't find the Leitner Cup at any of our local McDonald's. So my mom does what any mom in the 90s would do. She breaks out the white pages, goes to the McDonald's section, and she starts calling every McDonald's in like a whatever, 45-minute radius. And she finally finds this McDonald's in like Olathe, Kansas or something, right? They confirm they have the Leitner Cup. And she says, hangs up the phone, calls me down from my room, says, Aaron, we got to get in the car. We're driving to Olathe to McDonald's to get a large Coke with Christian Leitner on it. And so I had those those Dream Team cups like forever. And I don't have them anymore. Sorry, Mom. But they were a major part of my childhood. And all, like it took, in the grand scheme of things, like not a ton of effort on my mom's part. I mean, right. effort, not, not like a ton of effort. Um, but it's something that as a now, whatever, 37 year old man, who's now a parent of three, like that stuck with me and I still hold on to that. And I hope that I remember that not just when I'm now talking with you, but in kind of like the heat of parenting battle, <laughs> I hope, sure. I hope that I can hold on to that forever because it was a very cool thing that she did and they were there for me and they did everything they could to make sure that I was taken care of both in the very literal, this must happen to take care of my child sense, but also to bring joy to a, a young kid. And that's exactly what she and, and my dad have done. Wow. That's an awesome story. I was going to say it would be, would be classic. If you saw how those cups break them out of root sports for the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, I will say this. I think my cups lasted longer than almost any in the country. Almost any. I'm sure there's some like nutso collector that had them for longer, but I had them for a long time, man. Like we got good, got a good run out of those cups. That's sold. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So, uh, we crazy season last year. Um, so you're in the off season now. So t what does current family life look like and what, what does keep, what keeps the Goldsmith family busy right now? Yeah, I'm sure like anybody listening and like you, Casey, I and mean, this has been undoubtedly 
the and we're and we're still like early we're still ascending in our parenting like we haven't leveled off to 30,000 feet yet mm-hmm. so we're we're still we still got a long long ways to go so maybe it's a small sample size that I'm speaking of but this has been undoubtedly the most challenging time and hopefully hopefully will go down as the most challenging time for us as parents uh, who knows what the teenage years that you're currently going through will hold for us but the the quarantine time, like when spring training got shut down and we flew home and I remember, how, I don't know if you remember this or maybe your son, he sounds especially dialed in, remembers it. Like when they banged spring training and we flew home and the Mariners were going to open up at home. At first, the Mariners just postponed opening day by like, I don't know, a couple of weeks, a week, 10 days, something like that. And there was this hope, right? This hope that we'd be able to play and it'd be normal. Well, once that quickly faded to, hey, this thing is shut down, mm-hmm. we actually had this incredible time as a family. It was the only time where in the months of April, May, June, and then the first days of July, it's the only time ever where we will be together as a family every single day. And I will eat dinner at home every single night and there will be no travel. It, it, that will never happen again. Mm-hmm. So it was this kind of almost moment to rejoice. I mean, it was, it was terrific. Everything going on around us was terrible, but our little family nucleus, we were having a great time and we could enjoy the sun and get out and be a family, get out to a certain degree, at least in our own neighborhood. Once the baseball season started, it became a little more difficult just to try to find purpose for our kids because we couldn't get out as much as we normally would, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then once school started, uh, our oldest is in learn at home kindergarten and he has done a tremendous job of being engaged and learning. And he really loves, it. he's got a great teacher, like couldn't ask for anything better, but the hardest part Casey for us has been just kind of being held hostage by <laughs> online kindergarten <laughs> oh my god I because know. like one of us for as great of a job as he is doing there needs to be a parental figure next to him essentially the whole time mm-hmm. so you are tied up one of us is tied up with him and then the other one of us is two on one with a four-year-old and a one-year-old and trying to give them things to do so they're not climbing the curtains and just going batty especially our obviously our four-year- four-year-old while also feeling a sense of purpose for ourselves because Heather and I have had many nights where we're putting the head on the pillow and we're like, we didn't, we didn't do anything today for, for us, right? Like all we've done the whole day is just keep this house from burning down and keep everybody where they should be with something productive to do, which we aren't always successful at. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's been, this has been very challenging. The, the Christmas break, the holiday break is coming at a good time to kind of give us, although now we'll have to find something to do for all the hours of the day with no kindergarten. It's definitely been a challenge of trying to set some goals each day to come up with, to accomplish that are realistic, that we can still do what we need to do for the kids. Uh, I've, I've had this debate, Gary, Gary Hill is one of my, my great friends and he's part of our broadcast crew and his kids are younger than yours, older than mine. And I, I've always, I've often wondered, and I'm, I'm curious for you too. I mean, like online kindergarten is tough, but there's nothing. If, if my son has a bad day and melts down and can't do it, 
which fortunately hasn't happened yet. I mean, he has had some meltdown moments, but it's never been full Chernobyl, like shut it down and unplug the computer. <laughs> but if that happens, you kind of say to yourself, hey, you know, listen, man, it's he's going to miss three hours of kindergarten, right? Like we can go over this tomorrow or tonight. We can teach it to him. It's fine. It'll be OK. But when you start talking about high school, mm-hmm. I mean, easier said than done, right? It's you, you can't do that as much. So I don't know like which is more difficult, the <clears throat> attention span of 30 seconds or the, hey, I miss my friends. I've got no social life. I'm driving myself batty because I, I know what I'm missing. My son doesn't know what he's missing. Uh, to me, they're, they're both obviously are very challenging. But I could see how somebody in your shoes, even though your kids are, I'm guessing, probably a little bit more on autopilot, the mental side of it, right? I mean, it's yeah. got to be infinitely harder than what we're dealing with. It's it's been hard, but man, I I am I am very proud of how our kids have handled handled this. I think as a my, so my son's in ninth grade. I think it's been a blessing for him because as you're going into high school, I mean, I, I, my high school is a three year high school, not a four year high school. So, I mean, he's avoiding swirlies, he's avoiding wedgies. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, I mean, and he's grown like probably four or five inches this summer. Oh my gosh! Um, so he's really sprouting up, and so like I think. Ha- Having a chance to kind of grow up and get more mature behind a screen has been, I think, a, a good thing. Uh, I think the introduction to high school has been good. Has I think the the I wouldn't say the rules are a little more slack, but you it's it's I mean tests are different. They're doing Google Forms. Um, you know, I think we've you I think you said it well about you know it, it, your kids are going to have tough days, and I think you've we've had to like kind of dial it back. And my wife's been awesome about just like we got to give them grace. And realize that we're all going through something we've never been through ever, like ever, and hopefully never have to go through again. So, you know, do I like my son playing Xbox a lot? No, but like that's a way for him to, like him and his cousin have become like best friends and they play like, you know, for a little bit every night. And it's the way for them to like engage with each other. And that's their social life right now Mm. is through gaming. Um, But, you know, and he's, I mean, he's played a ton of golf, which has just been awesome in this pandemic. Uh, my daughter, she misses, I mean, she's, both kids play hoops and she's like a really big basketball player, misses that big time. Um, but you know, I, I think this vaccine can't come quick enough for all of us. And so we can get back and get on the court and, um, getting back to what normalcy feels like, hopefully. Um, but it's, I don't know. I'm just trying to, we, we really focus on just having perspective and trying, cause I mean, like any parent, we have our tough days and like what the Sam's hell's going on. And then we have, okay, wait a minute, big picture. Um, they're breathing. We're all breathing. Um, I, I just can't, I mean, I think, I think it'd be harder for for someone with your, a kindergartner. And I, I just give so much props to the teachers out there trying to teach kindergartners online school. Like, I, I mean, it's, it is incredible. I mean, it really, uh, I don't know how a grown person can have that much patience. It, yeah. It, it just, it's almost unbelievable because from, I mean, I can't tell you how many uh, times a microphone is left on and we can hear the like stay at home mom or dad working from like the room right next to where the, the kid is. And you can hear like their conference call going on. <laughs> and it's just like, uh, Lexi, Lexi, can you please mute your microphone? Lexi. Uh, how do I do just, that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> it's so, it's very... It is very funny. I find it funny because it doesn't really it's impact me per se. But if I was the one having to tell the kids to mute their microphones a hundred times a day, I can guarantee you 
I would not find it as funny as, <laughs> as I no. do. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and how do you avoid, I mean, not cracking a Coors Light and like, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to level off here. Right. I mean, joking, we don't want to see our teachers firing back beers. <laughs> <laughs> but be, uh, but we really... would understand it. We would understand it if it happened. Right. We don't want to see it, but we get it. You know, we get it. Like that's what the breaks are for probably. Right. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay. Um, COVID wise, you guys are healthy. Um, has it impacted you yet or your family? No, man, we're all good. We've, uh, we've done everything we should do. I've had to travel a decent amount since the baseball season, uh, for, for football, but fortunately, uh, came through all that clean and have been in good shape. So I, I had to get tested on a regular basis for, for college football games, which was probably some good ease of mind for everybody involved, both professionally and personally. So it was, uh, all that went well. We've, we've been in, we've been in good shape. How was that announcing, uh, games without any fans? You know, what's funny for baseball, it was kind of a good example as to how quickly you can adapt and get used to something. Mm-hmm. I would never, don't confuse this. I would never want to do that permanently going forward. Right. But I was kind of afraid of what the adrenaline would feel like, mm-hmm. what the heartbeat would feel like, how much conviction you could have in a call, especially in a big moment in a game. If you are sitting inside of a pitch black, empty T-Mobile park and the game is being played in Arlington, Texas. And what I learned very quickly is, Hey man, once you put that headset on, and they're piping in that fake crowd noise, so it feels like there's some juice going. And you're you're live, and you know you're live, and there's a big league ball game going on. It's a big league ball game, and it feels like it, and you call it like it is. There, there wasn't any, at least in my mind, there wasn't any letdown in terms of the emotion of the call. Now, there were certainly challenges to just the simple logistics and fundamentals of making a call when you can't see everything like you'd want to see it. That was a challenge. It was one that you could work around, but you kind of had to learn how to massage it a little bit. We had two monitors. One monitor was the program monitor, which is exactly what anybody saw at home when watching on Root Sports. And then the other monitor was broken into four. and among the four quadrants, one was what we called the all nine, which was basically a high home camera where you could see the whole field, right? Foul pole to foul pole, the whole thing, home plate to dead center field. And then we had a camera that would typically show you the bullpens. There was kind of a backup program monitor on there. And then there was another monitor that was kind of, it would fluctuate what was in that fourth box, depending on what ballpark the, the Mariners were playing at and what the home show, the home telecast would give us. But basically, the, the two most important things to look for was the program monitor, again, what you saw at home, and then the all nine. Because the difficult situation was, say there's a runner at first base, and Kyle Seeger plugs the gap in right center field, okay? And you got a fast guy at first. Say so you got D Gordon at first base. Well, if you're calling the game that's in front of you, now, you know, the ball's off the bat. Here's the pitch swinging. It's a line drive in a right center field. And now you're looking at D. You're not, maybe you haven't said D's name yet, but you're watching how fast D is moving. He got a clean break. He didn't trip. He's running to second base. And now you're ping-ponging your eyes from 
second base as D hits the bag out to right center field. Now you're looking, okay, the ball's at the base of the wall. Now I need to know if the right fielder or the center fielder, whoever's making the play, is going to pick it up cleanly, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at the program, the director directing the show who's making the cuts, the director's the guy in the truck who's saying, uh, camera two, take two, camera three, take three. And he's telling people what's going to go on your TV screen and what you're going to see. Well, he might be taking a shot of D rounding second base as the ball gets bobbled up against the wall in right center field. Mm -hmm. And as we know, if you bobble a ball against the fence in right center and D's hitting the bag at second, there's a pretty good chance that D could turn that mistake into a run. Mm -hmm. And so the first couple of games, first more than a couple, really, first uh, maybe a couple of weeks of games, it was learning this dance between instead of my eyes, if I'm watching the game in real time, instead of my eyes going from D hitting the bag at second to now I'm quickly darting my eyes to the outfielder making the play on the ball, and I'm bringing my eyes back to D. Okay, where is he from second to third? Is he about to hit third? And I'm looking at the cutoff man. Cutoff man has it. Is he going to make a clean throw in? Did he catch it cleanly? Where's D? Now he's rounding third base. He's on his way home. Instead of that, I'm, wow. I'm ping-ponging my eyes between the program and the all-nine. The program and the all-nine. And I'm trying to see these little dots on this smaller screen and where the ball is. It wasn't as easy to see as in real real life, of course. But after you do it, I guess my greater point is that after you do it for 10 days, two weeks, your eyes learn the dance. You learn where to look because uh, knowing where to look without thinking about it is one of the biggest challenges because you have to be able to identify quickly. And all that being said, learning to be probably like a half beat behind the play in this case, just to give yourself the wiggle room to be able to make the call because it's not in front of you. And mm -hmm. it just, you need that extra half beat, at least I did at times, just to build in some safety net and some cushion. So it took a little while, but once we got there and you knew on those action plays where stuff was happening, you know, obviously just a routine line drive in a center field that takes a couple of skips and is a single, whatever, like that's mm -hmm. easy. But it's the, when you got multiple things going, because baseball, keep in mind, Casey, this is the only sport where action is happening away from the ball. Mm -hmm. That's why, like, if you're directing a TV, a, a baseball game on TV, it's so much different than directing football or basketball or soccer or hockey because stuff's going on 300 feet away from the ball, potentially. Right. So knowing which shots are the most important to convey to the audience, and <laughs> in our case, to the broadcasters, is a real challenge and to try to make everybody happy. So it was... Definitely a challenge. It was one that I feel like we were able to uh, live up to. And we're going to probably do that a lot. Maybe not a lot more, but maybe a lot more. But we're definitely going to do that again some in 2021. I don't think there's any doubt. But uh, hopefully not many years past that. But but it was uh, we as I was, I was I was telling a friend uh, during the season, if they told me that every five years, there would be no travel and you could stay home for the whole baseball season and be with your family. Like to me, that'd be like the perfect balance, like kind right. of like an Olympic setup, you know, like every five yeah. years uh, because the family time was great. And I mean, we're never tired. You're, you're never landing at three o'clock in the morning someplace. Uh, you're not spending an off day in Houston, you know, 
whatever. The travel is the only bad part of our job. And although it has perks, there's a great stake on the road. Um, <laughs> but the travel and being away from your family is the only thing that, that grinds on, on any guy, I would think. Uh, or, and so to, to be able to be without that for a year, especially when you have kids as young as I do. And for my son, I mean, this was his first year alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got to be there a lot and certainly way more than I ever would have been. So and sure, I know a lot wife. of people. Sure, sure. Wife love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm home every night at, you know, 1030, um, which normally I'm gone for 10 days at a time. So mm-hmm. I know everybody listening, or I'm sure almost everybody listening at least can relate to being able to, to be home with their family significantly more is one of the uh, great silver linings to everything that we've gone through uh, in the world over the last year. Yeah, we talk about that a lot. I mean, it's like we miss so much of the busy activity, but I think it's like the universe, the world, God, whatever you want to say. It's like it's a way to say, hey, we got to, we're slowing down, everybody. And uh, I think just like you got, you learned to pivot, just like restaurants are pivoting and, and different industries are pivoting. There, there will be people that come out of this better and stronger and totally more resilient. And I think that's, I'm a, I'm a naive optimist and I, we've talked about a lot in our family, like we're not going to use COVID as a, as an excuse. Like we're going to figure out ways to get better. You know, gyms are closed. Well, we can still do push up and sit-ups. We can, uh, you know, they haven't closed golf courses yet. They haven't closed. Um, there's a lot of things that are closed, but I'd rather focus on what we have versus what we don't have. And, uh, just, it's, I find it a little bit more positive way to live life being as naive as I can. You know, you know, I was thinking when we were in maybe the first month or two of all this, <clears throat> like imagine, if we've gone this, if we went this whole time and there was no power, like the power grid was shut down for like six or eight months, mm-hmm. like that would be, I'm not certainly not belittling what's gone on. It's been devastating and terrible, but it's like every day when you just walk downstairs, turn on your lights and the lights come on and you have hot water and your refrigerator is running with good food in it, fresh food that is widely available. These are all things that we've always taken for granted right right like have a store have a windstorm hit your neighborhood in seattle and be without power for 24 hours and realize that your life is over <laughs> i mean like right. especially if you have kids right like it's all over there's nothing for you to do <laughs> so yeah uh, you're exactly. right i'm totally with you man like there's there's so much to be grateful for that we take for granted on an hour by hour basis yeah it's like what usually the the first real problems was hey why is wi-fi down two megabits. For, yes. The, I, my, my downloads are not, go, my uploads are not going as quickly as they normally would. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, you were, if I have my data right, you were the first announcer hired post Niehouse. That's correct. And so I, as a, I, I mean, I'm 44, so I got you by a few years. I, I have, uh, and you know, talking to Riz was like unreal because I'm like, I, I, I told him stories when I was nine years old, uh, sent to my room to get to bed because it's too late. And, and freaking Riz is, calling a game and Phil Bradley hits a three of, you know, grand slam in the bottom of the ninth against the twins. And I jump out of my bed, freak out, run downstairs, screaming. My parents are like, how did you know? And I'm like, cause I was listening to the radio and <laughs> telling Riz that story and just, you know, and he, he loved it. And so, you know, I, for you, like getting that call from the M's and, and knowing that you're, you're finally in the major leagues, t- talk about what, what that feeling was like. It was something that I, Man, it's hard to put into words. I, I didn't even 
know that it would ever happen, right? I mean, you, you go on this journey to be a minor league broadcaster with the goal of getting to the big leagues. And you, I was optimistic just because I had to be to kind of keep you going through the grind of the minors. <clears throat> For me, everybody's different. Some guys just like the like the call enough and just want to, if, if they did a career in minor league baseball, that would be enough and they'd be perfectly happy. I, for me, it was like, I had to get to the majors. Like there was nothing, there was no other way to look at it. And if I did not, it would have been a failure. And that being said, I never put a timetable on it. Like it's funny. I've talked to Rick about this a bunch over the years and I forget his, I think his number was 10. Like if he was, if he didn't get to the big leagues in 10 years, he was going to hang it up and he got there in eight. So he got there in plenty of time, but uh, I, I never got to that point. I think if I had stuck in the minors longer, I, I might have. Uh, Rick had the better foresight of kind of determining his destiny when he started his career. Um, but when I got the call, it was it was one of the greatest days of my life. I mean, it certainly was one of the greatest days outside of the obvious best hits list of marriage, kids, and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, because it it changed my life forever. I mean, Randy Adamack, who is kind of this great grandfather of Mariners baseball. I don't know if he'd appreciate me calling him a grandfather, but he's <laughs> he was he was hired in year two of the franchise. I mean, he'd been with the M since '78, mm-hmm. and is kind of in this semi-retirement phase right now but for a long 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 time was essentially the head of PR and communications for the club and Randy is the guy who hired me and he's a a wonderful man and I don't just say that because he changed my life but like Randy I always get emotional thinking about Randy because I mean you have to realize and I'm sure you do Casey that they had over a hundred people apply for that job wow many of whom were I'm sure more qualified than me. And if you played the demo of just cherry pick 10 guys to 10 people and throw mine in with the 10, like there's a good chance that the 10 people listening liked any number of the other guys more than me. Right. I mean, there's, that could easily happen. It's like, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? (laughs) You know, I mean, it could go any direction. Mm -hmm. So for them to select me and for a job that I truly was not really ready for at the time, uh, at least I don't think so. And I kind of felt that way at the time, but I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> and to take a, a chance on me uh, to to bring me to Seattle and give, we didn't want to have kids in the minors just because you, you make nothing, you make nothing in the minors. Not that you can't have kids making nothing, but it just wouldn't be ideal. And we wanted to, we were hoping that it would align. Now, that being said, we knew that if we had gone many more years in the minors, that we would start having kids because this is the time, right? Mm-hmm. But we wanted to have kids in the majors if possible. So it allowed us to move to this incredible city, have a, a wonderful place to live in a tremendous community, have me live my dream job. Heather has a, a wonderful network of friends that she's been able to develop here. I just, it, it changed my life and uh, we would have, I'm sure we would have been happy still being in the minor leagues, but it's given us everything we could have ever dreamed, dreamed of and more. And I will always 
be indebted to Randy and to the Mariners for that because it's it's a dream come true in in every sense of the word. Wow, I can't even. I can just like when I got done interviewing Riz, like my face hurt from smiling so much. I can't even imagine like when you get that clear, like this can't. This has got to be one of my buddies pranking me. This can't be real. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I, I I was very convinced I did not get the job, and I was fine with that. I was twenty nine at the time. I never thought I would be able to interview for a big league job at that age, especially given my lack of experience at that time. And so for me, just the fact that they were interested in me, let alone the fact that they interviewed me in person, that they flew me to Seattle to meet with people, like just that, I was a winner. Like I had won. And I told Heather, hey, in two or three or six years from now, when the next big league job opens up, Hopefully I get an in-person interview and I'm going to do so much better on that one because of my experiences with this one. Mm-hmm. So I, I had learned that there were other candidates who they were interviewing who, who had been in the big leagues recently, who obviously had big league experience and big league tape and had been there and done that. And I'm just this puny little triple A broadcaster in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. So for those reasons, I was like, well, this is not going to happen. Like they're going to choose somebody else. and. And I understood. So it was this huge surprise. I mean, I'm telling you, man, a huge surprise. And it it was terrific. We we could not pack up quickly enough and come to Seattle. Wow. You mentioned Pawtucket. One of my so we go our family goes back east every summer to uh, this island called Cuddyhunk off the coast of Massachusetts. And uh, one of my buddies is from uh, Providence, and he he was a season ticket holder at Pawtucket. Oh, very cool. Yeah, he loved loved going. He's a huge Sox fan too, um, which is always always neat. But um, so you, you talked about a little earlier about you know just challenges of being on the road. Like, how, how do you, as a dad, talk about the challenges of just trying to be as present as you can? You know, missing kids. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's days where it's easier than or harder than others. Like, just maybe talk a little about that in a few minutes. Well, the road is definitely challenging. FaceTime and technology of the like has undoubtedly help with that. Um, it is kind of fun for now my oldest, who is, he's old enough to get baseball and get the Mariners. He can't explain the infield fly rule yet, but (laughs) like he knows all the players. He knows the opposing players. Like he's super dialed in. And so he'll watch or listen to my games before he goes to bed, like the first two or three innings. So cool. he still like he can still feel connected that way, which is which is pretty cool. That's not something that awesome. I necessarily anticipated, especially at this age. But I started this thing a few years ago where I will like send postcards to the kids from the road, and they think that's the coolest just to get mail, right? Like getting mail yeah. as a four year old, for example, is amazing, and so. I'll send them postcards from the road. Even if I get back home before the, before the postcard does, it doesn't matter. They still think it's awesome. Um, and what, what it does do is it makes time at home that much more valuable, clearly. And it really allows me to feel like when I'm home, I'm home. And it's funny when we bought our house in the summer of 2015, we were, with our kids before, uh, actually, our son was essentially one or or so when when we moved in here, and uh, we we want I wanted to get a house with an office, right, so I could prep from home. 
and do work from home like anybody else who has a home office. And what I quickly realized is that like, Casey, that's impossible. Like that <laughs> ca- it cannot and will not happen. My office is for when the children go to bed because I, I can't, I can't prep from home. I can't have my, my kids say, Hey dad, can we go for a bike ride? Hey dad, can we go play basketball or play baseball and be in my office and say no to that when I've been on a eight day road trip, it just is not going to happen. It's not good for anybody. And what I learned fairly quickly, because I, I wasn't, that wasn't as obvious to me at first, at first it was more like, well, Hey man, like I have to, I have to prep for tonight. Like I have to get ready. What I quickly realized is that the satisfaction of that time, and every parent can relate to this, that satisfaction of that quality time with your kids, especially at the ages of my children, mm-hmm. you can't replace it. And those days are fleeting, 18 summers, right? I mean, <clears throat> they're going quickly. And it's amazing how much we over-prepare for a broadcast. <laughs> I mean, like, it's good to prepare. And I love to prepare. Like, preparing for a baseball game is nearly as much fun for me as calling a baseball game. I love the prep. I love the research. I love asking myself questions about something and then finding the answers and then it leading to more questions and then that leading to more answers. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun, 90% of which never makes the air. And there is this certain calm that comes over you as a broadcaster when you take the air and you're fully prepared. Like it's like a very calming feeling. But that being said, we prepare more than we need to. And our kids are just sitting there asking for a buddy, right? Asking for a mom or asking for a dad in this case. And so the time that I spend horsing around with them is far more important than what I do to prepare for a broadcast, because you know what? I'm going to get to the ballpark at, at the latest three o'clock, right? Four hours before the game. What do you think I'm doing for those four hours? I'm preparing. Like if I can't prepare enough in four hours, I'm doing something wrong. Right. Right. When we're on the road, all I do, I mean, I'm such a loser. All I do on the road (laughs) is eat and prep for a broadcast because that's when I get to do it. That's when I'm alone, right? Mm -hmm. I can wake up at whatever time I want, grind away, do all the digging, do all the deep diving, and I have a blast. So it kind of, that's the time that I can do that. And when I'm home, man, I try so hard just to be home. Sure, there are exceptions to things. Mm -hmm. Like when Felix had his last game, like I spent more time preparing for that, right? Because like this is a momentous game. This is a very big game. Um, But like you're run of the mill, whatever, just middle of June, Tuesday night against the Angels. Like how many Mariners Angels games have I called? A million. (laughs) Like I've got a pretty good sense as to what's going on in this game, right? Mm -hmm. It still requires effort. It still requires work, work that I love, effort that I love. But finding that balance of trying to make sure that everybody is taken care of is so much more important because it just... It's how you sleep well at night, right? And then, and it could be really easy in any line of work where you're traveling and gone a lot, like in my profession, for your kids to feel neglected, and like we just we just can't let that happen. That cannot happen. Not, and I'm, I'm far from perfect on it. And I've learned a lot. I've learned new things along the way, like every parent has, and I'll learn ten times more 
from the time we speak now to when it's all over. But uh, hopefully it's a, a process that only makes all of us better as we go along with it and as we keep learning from it. Uh, because the most the, the family is the most important thing and the game will be fine. The game will be fine. Everything will be okay. Yeah, I love your self-awareness and I love just being present. And I think if you constantly are just are, are checking yourself, I mean, whether there's, I'm, there's, I'm sure there's dads listening right now that travel. I used to travel a ton for my, my corporate job before I went to this entrepreneurial um, journey. And the, once, like if I would travel on a Monday morning early, get back Thursday night late, like I loved Tuesday and Wednesday. I loved it because I was, you know, with customers and, but you know, the day Monday sucked because I missed my kids and my wife. And then the day Thursday, I couldn't, a plane could not fly fast enough to get home. And, um, so I I get, and, and it, it, same thing. Like when I'd be home, I'm like, it's easy to just feel like you got to do all these things. But, um, and I, I I think I told, I told someone the story when my, when I was, when my son was my, so he was probably 10 months old. I went to my boss at the time and, I was, I was in sales and business development for, for 20 year plus years. And, uh, I remember getting home like at around six 45 and he'd, he'd be going to bed at seven. And every day I was like, this is not, this is not working. And I remember going to my boss, Angela Ronica at the time. And, and I'm so thankful for her for doing this. She said, so let's change your hours. Like just leave it, leave it, leave earlier. And I mean, I, I trust, you know, what you're going to be doing. And so like literally I'd get, I was, I turned a sales job into bankers hours. And so I leave it four 30 or four ish. And from five to seven, all I did was dad time. And I, I did my best to put my phone down. And, you know, I, I always, when I coach sales people now and, and leaders, I always say, you know, if I dial 911, let me give you a newsflash, your phone won't ring. So you're not as important as you think. Mm-hmm. And uh, once, once we, we just focus on being present and um, asking questions and being curious and, and trying to get your kids to talk about things, which I use like this um, philosophy of asking questions called Ted base, which is tell me, explain, describe. You should try try it when your kids keep getting older, you, instead of, yeah, the, the way of, Hey, how, how was school? What'd you do? Versus, you know, tell me, tell me about a time you laughed with your friends today. Explain the hardest part about math right now. They, they can't, they have to talk. And, um, I just, I mean, that's why I love doing this. Every time I talk to a dad, I feel like it's therapy and, uh, hope, you know, I hope dads at home are, are getting a lot about our conversation today and just realizing the impact we, we have, um, in, in the short time we do. Um, okay. So you've, uh, I want to hear about maybe a time where, um, uh, or, or an area your dad game, you're, you're trying to f- focus on just constantly, um, working on and getting better. Maybe an area that you're, you're not as happy. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll lead my witness. Like for me, patience is mine. I'm, th- there are times where I'm like, not like freak out F bombs, but like, just. Like, <laughs> you know. well, that's mine. You just took it, <laughs> you know, but I find myself like, dude, chill out. It's not that big a deal. Like, like for you, what, what's something you're working on as a dad? Patience is always on the table. I will say, I think you're not alone there for sure. I think for me in the specific time that we're in and it doesn't, let's face it, it's not going to end by, by Christmas. Um, I think we are in a point in our house where our kids (laughs) for the last, let's just say six months, man, they've only seen each other, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and let me tell you, like, I'm going to not include my one-year-old in this because he's like, he's a perfect one-year-old, right? Like he's, he's the easiest one for sure. Cause he can't talk back to us. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like God did not create six and four-year-olds to only be together in isolation for six months at a time and not see other people. 
Right. (laughs) It is. It was funny after the first like three months of this, we were like, man, why, why is Jackson and Hadley, why are they just ripping each other's hair out all the time? This is terrible. And then it was like, oh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Step back and look at this a little bit. So I think for us, it's the, it's the realization and the understanding that it's going to be really hard right now, given the life that we're in for our kids to uh, be warm and fuzzy with each other mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Now, to be fair to them, it's probably hard for a four and a six-year-old to be like that on a regular basis anyway. This is our first time going through four and six-year-old. It just happens to be during a pandemic. So for us, it is how can we be more understanding to that mm-hmm. and find cl- different and clearer ways to communicate expectations that are a, that are realistic, right? And then also, something I was thinking about just the other day, like I feel so bad for my daughter, our middle child, because I mean, our six-year-old is doing the kindergarten thing and like we have to be engaged with that because he has to be accountable to kindergarten, <laughs> as daunting as that sounds. And then like our one-year-old, he's a one-year-old. So he needs specific attention that any one-year-old needs, right? Mm-hmm. And then our daughter, this is like, it's just classic middle child. Like our four-year-old daughter is just like a woman without a country, just <laughs> like just floating, right? As like Heather's changing a diaper and I'm overseeing kindergarten. Hadley's just like roaming the house in an Elsa dress, like with pretend jewelry on, just trying to find something to do. And so like how how can we let her not feel forgotten? And even if she doesn't feel forgotten, how can we make this a more productive time in her life? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's like she's had a lot of wasted days, which I'm not proud of, but like she she just has because she's been in the middle. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm I'm sure that would be a challenge even during normal times. Um, but it's especially a challenge right now that we have to we have to clean up and find a better game plan for. Yeah, that's even if she doesn't know it. I mean, she might have no. She probably has no clue, but we clearly see it. Well, I think again, not alone. I think it's cool that you said that, and it's probably good for parents to to realize it. But I think the the independence that she's gaining uh, is a positive. I bet, and you know, later in life. Maybe it's me again, me my naive optimism. But I think a a strong, independent woman is a, is a great thing. Um, but it's, I think it's but kudos to you for for just trying to find find a, um, an opportunity to get better, uh, and that's really what my goal of these episodes are: is just have have dads at home like just kind of like check themselves a little bit and like man that that resonated with me. I think I can I can work on that too. Um, as we get ready to wrap up here, so if you can think about you know two to three, if you're giving advice to any dad at home on you know what this maybe at to, maybe to the the age where your kids are at like two or three things that are that come to mind that that are working for you or things that you're thinking about from a characteristic dad perspective like what would you what would you advise um other dads so they can be that that ultimate leader of their of their home what what comes to mind you know i it's funny to to be in a position of giving advice <laughs> given some of the things that i've already talked about but i do feel like um you know when when i uh when I think about our kids 
grown up or certainly out of the house. Um, one of the things I hope that they'll be able to tell their spouse is how much they laughed when they were a kid at, at home specifically. Like, I hope they laugh at school and whatever. Like, I hope they have fun there. But like, man, if they don't have fun within the walls and the confines of our home, then that's going to be a real downer. So uh, I, I always try to give in to an opportunity to have my kid laugh. Love it. And it has to be certainly time appropriate, right? Like there are certain times where this is not a good time, but there are other times where we don't think it's a good time because we are in our lane with our blinders on doing our adult thing. And we don't have time for the kid gut laugh about whatever it might be, you know? So like, I'll give you an example in our house and this, like every house has their own ridiculous off the wall, stupid kind of tradition things or that only makes sense in their house. And I'll tell you ours years ago, forever, (laughs) for whatever reason, our, our kids were playing, our two oldest kids were playing this game where they like built a, a fort, which they called an igloo. It was this very ice themed, maybe frozen had just come out. And uh, they were pretending to be polar bears. And they wanted me to be something that would like attack these polar bears. Right? <laughs> and it really tested my animal planet knowledge and showed me how little I know about the animal kingdom. Because they said, dad, dad, you know, come get us. We're polar bears. And I said, well, what, what gets a polar bear? And, you know, they're like, at the time, they're, I don't know, like, two and four or something. And they don't know. They have no idea. They barely even know what a a polar bear is. And so in my great naivete, I, uh, this is embarrassing. I I thought that maybe a woolly mammoth would attack a polar bear. (laughs) And so then I just started this game of like, I'm a woolly mammoth and like, I'm going to get these polar bears. And man, the woolly mammoth thing stuck like, like nothing else that I've ever said to my children. And like the woolly mammoth has become like our family crest. And like, <laughs> like we love all things woolly mammoths. And so I tell you what, I know a lot more about woolly mammoths now than I did when my kids were four and two. And so now like every night, my four-year-old daughter <laughs> always says, will you be a woolly mammoth? And they want me to chase them up the stairs. And all I do is I just chase them up the stairs and I go, I'm a woolly mammoth. I'm coming. It's just like, that's all it is. Like that's all, all it is being a woolly mammoth is just saying you're a woolly mammoth and chasing your kids. That's all. It's very simplistic, very elementary game. And like, there are nights where maybe they had a bad dinner and they didn't behave well and whatever, whatever. And it's not a good night, but whether it's going upstairs for bedtime, which is when they always want me to be a woolly mammoth. Or if it's just in the middle of the day, they want me to be a woolly mammoth or in the backyard or if we're at a park. Um, There have been so many times where it's like, guys, this is not a good time for me, right? Like I got stuff, whether it's maybe it's mental stuff, maybe it's physical stuff, like not a good time. But the joy, I'm telling you, man, it's, you have this with your kids and certainly when they were smaller and I'm sure some version of it now, even as teenagers or thereabouts, like the joy that it gives them. Mm-hmm. I, I know for a fact 
that this will be something that they tell their spouse about. And this will be something that they, maybe they don't have it exactly, maybe they're not a woolly mammoth for their kids, but it'll be something that they will want to implement as a mom or a dad simply because of the joy that it brings them currently and the joy that stays with them. Because like I think to me, the bottom line when it comes to all of this stuff that we're talking about, and I've talked to Heather about this so many times over the years since we've become parents is like, I'm in a, like a lot of people listening, I'm sure I'm, I'm no exception. Like I'm in a very competitive field that's full of egos, massively ego driven. Uh, and this desire to like do everything you can to become something right. And that's, that is not isolated to professional play-by-play broadcaster. Everybody can relate to that, I'm sure. Like there is this real desire to give everything you have to your career, to your profession, to achieve those ego-driven goals that, of course, then result in greater prestige, more money, all the human material things. If Fox called me tomorrow and said, Aaron, you can do the World Series and the Super Bowl and the All-Star Game and the best college basketball events that we have, like anything you want, you choose it. It's all you. And we're going to pay you $10 million to go do it, but you're going to get divorced and your kids aren't going to know you. Mm -hmm. None of that's worth it. Right. Right. None of that is like, it could be $20 million. It could be a hundred million dollars. None of that is worth it. Bottom line, all that we care about in our life is that our kids grow up to be good parents. Mm-hmm. That's all I care about. How? What can we do to ensure that my kids become good parents, great parents, better parents than we are? Mm-hmm. And where is the balance between having a career that is satisfying, that provides for our family, that brings us joy? Not that it's going to be 100% without frustration. Every job will have that, obviously. But where is the balance between having that great career and having that great family life and what decisions do we need to make, even if it sacrifices money, ego, career, prestige, or fame so that we can guarantee that we have that. Because I can tell you, Casey, if when I'm 60 years old, if I got a million dollars just sitting there with my name on it, but my kids are a disaster, like I I failed. It's yeah, a, it's a massive, it's a massive fail. And I will have no happiness, like no happiness. And even if I had a house on Maui, right, there's no happiness there. So uh, finding those moments to really bring joy and a smile to my kid's face, even if it doesn't exactly jive with what I'm doing at the current time, uh, I want to plant like a million of those seeds while my kids are young. And hopefully those will grow to be something really great when they're in high school, when they're in college, and then best of all, when they become parents. No, I love that, man. Laughter is a great nugget present you talked about. Um, and just uh, asking what's what's important. Constantly ask yourself what, what's important and what really matters. And I, you know, as, as my kids keep getting older, um, one thing that I, I talk to my wife a lot about and, and just buddies is, 
I think everybody has that dream that you want you see you want to see your kids succeed, whether it's in band or school or sports, and you want to give them the opportunities. But in the end, uh, like, I, is it, are we going to remember a, a basketball tournament in a random, you know, random town I'll never visit again, or am I going to, rem- or am I going to remember that man when when another parent said, "Man, I, I shook Riley's hand, and she was, she looked me in the eye, she was super nice, she was respectful, she's going to be a good employee, she's going to be a good wife one day." Like, that's what we want, right? It's not absolutely. That, and I think it's just constantly. I, and as you, your kids get older, you'll 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 see it, and specifically in, in youth sports, which is we've had a couple episodes on that topic, which you know it's crazy and it's in, in, in at times, but it's just constantly reminding myself that it's what's what's the end what's the end game what what's what is that end goal I want and I just want I want to create freaking good humans good people yes absolutely that is the end, that you're right that is the end game for sure so all right. Um, we're going to go to extra, extra innings. Season two, what I'm trying to do is like these rapid fire questions at you. And then we'll, and we'll call it a wrap. Sound good? I got you. Okay. Uh, Principia Panthers versus Penn State. Who's going to win? Well, I mean, it's, it's going to be Principia. <laughs> Come on, man. What do you think? Good answer. Um, favorite moment of the Wheelhouse podcast? which is a great podcast people should listen to. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, boy, favorite moment of the Wheelhouse podcast. God, we've done a, I can't believe, by the way, Simon, I can't believe we've done almost 70 episodes. Kudos to Jerry. Um, my favorite moment is anytime I can stump JD in trivia because Jerry is the walking encyclopedia of baseball knowledge. So anytime I can get him, I feel very good about it. Solid. What's your favorite food? I mean, across the board, pizza, but, uh, but man, take me to New York and give me a steak. Um, go to, um, if you've not been to this restaurant, it's called Quality Meats on your next New York road trip. Oh, that sounds like my kind of restaurant. <laughs> it sounds like a butcher, but it's, a, it's like a super awesome restaurant, just like right inside Times Square. Um, I had a client ask me to go there, and it's like we've been there like three times every time we go to New York. Really? Cool. All right. Yep. Thank you for the tip. You bet, man. Favorite sport growing up? Boy, uh, I had phases of of every sport, but I would say probably the most, I mean, baseball is probably the most influential sport on me, given my career choice. Um, But I, man, I was like, uh, when the Rams were cooking, man, in St. Louis, greatest show on turf. I mean, I've never been so diehard into anything. So I'll say, I'll say Rams football for that great window of time. Favorite comedy movie? Uh, I ha- I mean, probably The Hangover. Mm. Stu's. You know, I can play Stu's song on the guitar. What do tigers dream of? Really? Yeah. I remember Actually. watching The Hangover in Portland, Maine in 2009 when it came out and just like crying laughing. <laughs> like, I, I, I gauged my favorite comedy movie by like which movie I feel like I laughed the hardest in first time I saw it. And that would, that would probably be The Hangover. Uh, I got an awkward fam- uh, comedy movie last, I mean, two Thanksgivings ago. I thought it'd be a good idea to watch Stripes as a family. Okay. <laughs> and uh, in, in my mind, my memory, Stripes was hilarious. I still think it's a good movie, but my stepdad and my mom, and they're like, what in the Sam's hell are we watching? And it was like, <laughs> complete, complete, to quote your earlier Chernobyl, it did not go over well. <laughs> uh, favorite, what's your favorite activity to do when traveling on an, on a road trip? I mean, just eating. Like I'm just just gonna call it as it is. I mean, I 
all my road trips are planned around what I'm going to eat. Uh, we don't like, we don't get, I think there's, it might be some people who think that we're like wined and dined at all these great restaurants at dinner all the time. Like th- we don't get that many dinners. Obviously the majority of our games are at nighttime. So it's a lot of lunch. And then when you get a dinner, I mean, it's a real treat. Um, Manny's Steakhouse in Minneapolis is one of my absolute favorites. Uh, they're known for the bludgeon of beef, which is like the 48 ounce bone in ribeye. Uh, Manny's is incredible. Uh, in New York, every after every game in New York, we always go to Walensky's Grill, which is attached to Smith and Walensky's Steakhouse. The grill is a little more informal, a little more relaxed, same meat. Everything's the same. It's just smaller, intimate, and they're open till they're open to like four in the morning. I mean, it's wow. obscene. So you always can get in there. Uh, you know, Gary Hill uh, started with the M's, I don't know, at this point, maybe four years ago or something. And he and I pal around to all these places together. And Gary has never spent a night in New York without going to Walensky's Grill. Like it's it's a one-to-one ratio of nights slept in New York to meals had at Walensky's Grill. So we hope to keep that streak intact for many years to come. Solid. Um, most memorable game you've announced uh, for the Mariners? Uh, well, Paxton's no-hitter was awesome. Uh, Kuma had a no-hitter as well. Uh, I was on the call for Paxton's no-hitter, though, so that one stands out a little bit more. And then I, I think uh, no slight to history because that was an incredible performance that James had. But Felix's last game... Like I, I had like actual tears in my eyes when that game was going on. So that's that's one that I'll always remember. Awesome. Favorite dog you walked to earn a living while <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the minors? <laughs> yeah, I was a professional dog walker in St. Louis for a few months. Um, it was, a good, it was I, w- I wouldn't call it a career, but it was a good job. Um, <laughs> let's see. There was a, an adorable pug that I walked. That was very easy. Um. I wish I remembered the names of all these dogs. There were very few bad dogs. That's for sure. There was a, a uh, pit bull that scared the the life out of me, but never did anything bad. It was overall very nice. But I, the, the pug is the one that stands out the most because she was just very, obviously very sweet because she's a pug, you know, but the, the bigger dogs were more fun, but she was, she was very sweet. Wow. Awesome. And if you were not a broadcaster, what profession would you have cho- chosen? You know, when, uh, when I'd done my three years, I'd done three years with three different teams, all as an intern, my first three years in minor league baseball. And if I had not gotten a full-time job as a broadcaster for the Rangers double-A team in Dallas, if I'd not gotten that job, I kid you not, I was going to be in a, a full-time appliance salesman. I had sold Viking appliances uh, during the off-season and enjoyed it and like that's I, that's what i told heather i was going to do i said if i if i can't get a full-time job I'll, I'll go sell viking appliances and i'll be happy and we can get married so although i don't think that's what i'd still be doing i can tell you like that's what i would have done if i did not get a full-time play-by-play job and then three years later get to seattle so as as bizarre and random as that sounds that's what i would have done yeah. What's even more random is my dad, Big Mike Jaycox, sold appliances for Whirlpool for 30 years. Really? Yeah. That's what he did. Well, so, so it can be done. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I uh, I think we're going to call a wrap there. Uh, that was fun. Um, again, it's been an honor to talk to you. It's, I am I'm honored that you decided to come on. And thanks to, to Rick Riz for, for making the introduction. And uh, we're big fans. Keep up the, the great work you're doing. Um, for all the dads out there, hope you got something from uh, from this episode. Hope you learned a little bit. Hope you... Um, some of the stories we talked about resonated with you to become that ultimate quarterback in your household. And, and real, maybe we'll quick answer. So I, this is like the Uncle Rico in me, which is the, the theme or the metaphor of the podcast. I, I played quarterback at Central Washington in the mid-90s. And uh, so it's like the, the theme of like trying to be that leader, your team, leader, your house. That's where the kind of the, uh, I think I, ha- and I had to make sure I used an Uncle Rico drop to keep the streak alive for this podcast. So... <laughs> Um, but I want to thank Catch Sick of Seafoods, our sponsor for uh, continuing to, to um, if you like to eat, man, check them out and use a quarterback, uh, use a promo code TAKE15, that's TAKE15 at checkout. By line fishermen up in Alaska, shipped down to you within a couple of days. It's, it's the best. I love them. I'm a paying customer. They don't send me anything for free. Um, but with that, this episode of the Quarterback Dad Cast in the book, Aaron, again, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Casey, it's been a treat, man. Thanks for having me.